Uh, good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, thank you so much for attending our Bible study tonight. Before we proceed to another episode of the Bible History Project, we ask everyone to please stand for our prayer. Almighty and loving Father, thank you so much, gracious God, for blessing your people. Thank you for watching over each one of us. Thank you because we know we can always approach you. You are our stronghold. And when we belong to you, we are confident. No matter what we face in our life, we will remain strong because of you. And this is what inspires your people. And so we derive strength from your holy book, which is why it gives us great pleasure to study your holy words, including the history of your people, because we know we can derive hope from this study as we see how gracious and kind and compassionate you are. And so we ask you to please open our minds, inspire our hearts, and help us, Father, to bear fruits of righteousness. We believe, O oh God, you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, all right. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Bible History Project. This time we're going to jump to chapters 33, then 34, then 35 of the book of... Genesis. We want to finish the whole book of Genesis before the year ends. Is that a good goal to have? Yes. yes. But after we finish Genesis, we're going to have a recap and kind of look back at what we learned so that we can apply certain biblical principles in our life. And so we left off last week with the maturity of Jacob. Remember how Jacob was transformed because of the problems, the trials he went through. And so what we're going to look at today are the dangers of prosperity. So here's Jacob. He sets himself free from Laban's clutches. And so he's on his way to Canaan to meet his brother Esau. What happens next? Let's begin our studies here in Genesis 33, 1 to 2. Jacob saw Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two concubines. He put the concubines and their children first, then Leah and her children, and finally Rachel and Joseph at the rear. And so when Jacob was on his way to Canaan, and we know that Esau with his 400 men are on his way to meet Jacob, what did Jacob decide to do? Perhaps because of fear, he decided to divide his children among Leah, Rachel, and the two concubines. So who, who gets to go first? The concubines and their children. Next, we have Leah and her children. Who gets to stay behind with Jacob? Rachel. I think we can see here the problem of favoritism again. For some reason, Jacob is playing favorites. He's still partial to Rachel. And we can see this is going to be a problem in the future because guess what? Who are the kids that belong to uh, Rachel again, who was with Rachel? Joseph. Guess who they become jealous of? Joseph, right? And so we can see the root of that problem is because of the partiality or the favoritism that was shown by Jacob. So Jacob is on his way to see Esau. He sees Esau coming. What does he do when he meets him face to face? Genesis 33 verse 3, Jacob went ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. This was an expression of humility, and he wanted to show to Esau that he comes because he wants to reconcile and patch things up. What do you think happened in this first encounter between Jacob and Esau ever since he left for Haran? What do you think happens? Can't wait, huh? What happens next? We got to find out. Let's read verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. They were both crying. This was a wonderful, poignant moment, don't you say? And so there was reconciliation. There was no more hostility. They threw each other's arms around each other and kissed each other, and they were both crying. And what did Esau begin to realize? Genesis 33, 5 to 8, when Esau looked around and saw the women and children, he asked, who are these people with you? These, sir, are the children whom God has been good enough to give me. 
Jacob answered. Then the concubines came up with their children and bowed down. Then Leah and her children came. And last of all, Joseph and Rachel came and bowed down. So there was a formal introduction of the wives that belonged to Jacob together with his children. So far, so good, which is a good thing, right? What, else, what also did Esau notice? Genesis 33, 8 to 11, Esau asked, what about the other group I met? What did that mean? Jacob answered, it was to gain your favor. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have. Jacob said, no, please, if I have gained your favor, accept my gift. To see your face is for me like seeing the face of God. Now that you have been so friendly to me, please accept this gift which I have brought to you. God has been kind to me and given me everything I need. Jacob kept on urging him until he accepted. So what else did Esau notice? The advanced party bearing much gifts. And so what did Jacob say to him? He said, I brought this to you because I want to please you because I'm so happy that you come to me as a friend. Please accept my gift. At first, uh, Esau did not want it, but Jacob persisted until finally Esau relented and accepted the gifts. And so what does Esau suggest? Genesis 33, 12 to 14, Esau said, let's get ready and leave. I will go ahead of you. Jacob answered, you know that the children are weak, and I must think of the sheep and livestock with their young. If they are driven hard for even one day, the whole herd will die. I don't think that's true. <laughs> Please go on ahead of me, and I will follow slowly, going as fast as I can with the livestock and the children until I catch up with you in Edom. So Esau, we can see here, has a change of heart, right? I mean, we know Jacob changed. Esau changed also. There was no more hostility in his heart. He genuinely wants to become a friend of his brother, Jacob. He wants to connect with Jacob, but apparently he, uh, Jacob doesn't want to, right? And so what does Jacob say? Well, I cannot, uh, I cannot follow you just yet. Go on ahead of me, and eventually I'm going to catch up with you in Edom. And so we notice here, at last, one of the greatest fears of Jacob is finally been appeased because he is now good friends. He has made um, a, a reconciliation with his brother Esau. And so what does Esau suggest? Uh, Genesis 33 verse 15, Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. But Jacob answered, there is no need for that for I only want to gain your favor. You can kind of sense Esau wants to connect but Jacob wants to avoid. Nevertheless, what we can see in Jacob's life at this point in his life are the following things. Next slide. He's living the life now, right? Jacob, first, he separated himself from Laban. <laughs> he's worked with Laban for 20 years, and he learned a lot. Number two, he's become wealthy. Number three, he has prevailed against an angel. I want you to think about that for a moment. Right, So you wrestle with an angel, and God has blessed you so much so that he has changed your name from Jacob to Israel, which means struggled with men, struggled with God, and yet won. How would you feel if you were Jacob at that point? You probably will feel a little proud, right? I succeeded. You are on a spiritual high. And so you feel good about yourself. And number four, he makes peace with Esau. So right now, Jacob is living the life. However, when we reach a high point in our life, sometimes we can become complacent. Isn't that true? Sometimes we can become proud. And when we do that, we might forget our almighty God. This is why there's also a danger when one is in a condition of prosperity. In fact, this danger is so real. What does God when he was speaking to Moses and the people of Israel. What did God forewarn his people Israel? Let's go jump to Deuteronomy chapter 8, 10 to 14. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But that is the time to be, what does it say? You got to be careful. When you are prospering, when you are being blessed, 
when you are succeeding, you have to be careful because sometimes success can be our worst enemy, okay? Beware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey His commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine houses to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, what is it? Be careful. Why? Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. God knows the human condition. He knows our human nature. When we reach a high, whether it be physical, material, or spiritual, the tendency is to become proud, to become complacent, and to forget our almighty God. Is this relevant to us today? Absolutely. In fact, according to the prophecy in Isaiah, what is the warning of God? And what did he see uh, coming? Isaiah 24, 15 and 16, to show you this is very relevant to our cause. Therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord. Exalt the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the islands of the sea. From the ends of the, the earth, we hear singing, glory to the righteous one. But I said, I waste away, I waste away, woe to me. The treacherous betray. With treachery, the treacherous betray. You know what we read to you there? It's a prophecy, right? It's about God's work of bringing his people together. That will begin where? In the islands of the sea in the east. During what time? A time called ends of the earth. Was this fulfilled? Absolutely. When the Church of Christ emerged in the Philippines back in July 27, 1914. And so God prospered that church. However, in times of prosperity, what do we need to remember? Do not forget God. Because we have to fulfill the purpose of God. Why did God bring together these people during the end times? What does it say? What is our purpose? What is our purpose? Why did God bring us together? It says right there to give glory to who? To the Lord God. Not in some spiritual leader here on earth. What is also the warning of God? He says the prophecy also mentions time will come that after God has prospered his people during the end times, that people will betray him. Why? Because instead of giving glory to God, they will give glory to someone else. Was that fulfilled? Yeah. You know how you can tell who is receiving the glory? Look at the songs that they make. Because it says right there, we hear singing. Glory to the righteous one, but woe to me, because they saw something else. The singing begins to change. Instead of being focused on praising God, it has focused on praising someone else, right? This is why we have to be careful. When God prospers us, when God blesses us, we must not be proud. We must not forget our almighty God, Jacob. At this point, he was living the life, right? God has blessed him. And so at this point, next slide, Jacob is now, is now, it should be not, is now living a worry-free, a problem-free, and a prosperous life. Often, it is during prosperous, prosperous times that we forget our almighty God. And so, if I may, suggest to you the following. Next slide. Could it be that Jacob is forgetting God? Maybe. Let's look at what happens next because I want to build a case for the possibility that perhaps Jacob is forgetting God. So let's go ahead and jump to Genesis 33, 16 to 17. So that day Esau started on his way back to Edom, but Jacob went to Sukkoth. He said he's going to follow him to Edom, right? Is that what he said? But instead of following him to Edom, where does he go? He goes to Sukkoth. You know why it would have been so important for Jacob to go to Edom and speak with Esau? Number one, not only to connect, but number two, to share with him his experiences with who? Our Almighty God. That would have been the chance for him to introduce the God who has blessed him. But he did not do that. There was a reason why he did not go there, perhaps. Maybe he was no longer thinking about God. Maybe he became complacent. 
And so he was not thinking of God and how that can help transform the life of Esau. Next slide. So is Jacob forgetting God, number one? I believe so because he did not go back to Esau to teach him about God. What else? Genesis 33, 16 and 17. So that day Esau started on his way back to Edom. But Jacob went to Sukkoth where he built a house for himself and shelters for his livestock. This is why the place was named Sukkoth. Why else do we believe that perhaps Jacob is forgetting God? Not only did he go to Sukkoth, what does he do there? He builds a, a house. What else? He built shelters for his livestock. Wait a minute, Brother John. Why is that an indication of the possibility that Jacob perhaps is forgetting God? Well, because there was an important command that God gave to him. I don't know if you remember this. But if I can stir up your memories, in Genesis uh, chapter 31, 13, this is God's command. God says to him, right, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your Family. So while he was still there at the place of Laban, God appears to him and God says to him, I am the God of Bethel. And so what does God want uh, Jacob to do? To go back to the place of his father, to Canaan, but to a specific place in Canaan. Where is that? Bethel. All right. Now, why does God want him to go back to Bethel? Because God, according to God, he made a vow to God, right? Jacob made a vow to God that he would go back to Bethel. What is his vow that Jacob made to God? Let's go back to Genesis 28, 18 and 22. Before I read this passage, this was the time when Jacob was running away from who? From Esau, right? He's going to go to Haran, to his uh, father-in-law, Laban, because he's running away from Esau. On the way there, he goes to Bethel. Genesis 28, 18, 22. Jacob got up early the next morning, took the stone that was under his head and set it up as a memorial. Then he poured olive oil on it to dedicate it to God. He named the place Bethel. The town there was once known as Luz. Then Jacob made a vow to the Lord. If you will be with me and protect me on the journey I am making and give me food and clothing. If I return safely to my father's home, then you will be my God. This memorial stone which I have set up will be the place where you are. Worship. And I will give you a tenth of everything you give me. What is the vow that J uh, Jacob made to the Lord God? Which is why God instructs him, go back to Bethel. When he was in Bethel, he set up a memorial. And he made a vow that he'll go back there in order to worship who? Our Almighty God. So Bethel was the appointed place where he is to be worshipped by Jacob. This is why God wants him to go back there. What is the significance of Bethel? Why is it so important to God? Which is why it should also be important to Jacob. Genesis 28, 12 down to 15. Remember the dream that he had? He dreamed that he saw a stairway reaching from earth to heaven. Who is that stairway? Our Lord. Jesus Christ. Remember, God revealed his plan about the Son of God or the Lord Jesus Christ to Jacob in that very place. Bethel. And in verse 15, remember, I will be with you, God says, and protect you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. Because that is where God wants uh, to be worshipped. That is the place that served as a refuge for Jacob. Remember, Jacob was running away. And he was discouraged. He was wondering, maybe God has not, is not with me anymore. And so he goes to Bethel. God shows himself through a dream. And God has blessed him there. Now God wants him back in Bethel. But instead of going to Bethel, where did he go? Next slide. From Haran, he goes to where? Sukkoth. Not Bethel. Bethel is across the river there. Right? He doesn't go there so he missed it did he go to canaan yes but he did not go to the specific place where god wanted him to go which is bethel so next slide please is jacob forgetting god number one 
He did not go back to Esau to teach him about God. Number two, he did not go to Bethel where God wanted him to go. What else? Next slide. Genesis 33, 18 to 20. Later, having traveled all the way from Padan Aram, which is in Haran, Jacob arrived safely to the town of Shechem in the land of Canaan. There he set up camp outside the town. Jacob bought the plot of land where he camped from the family of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver. And there he built an altar and named it El Elohe Israel. There's Jacob, right? Perhaps he remembers I'm supposed to go back to Bethel, but he is in uh, Sukkoth. He bought some land there. He bought property, he bought a house. Apparently, he likes the lifestyle in that place. But he probably remembers, I have to go back to, where again? Bethel. So he moves closer to Bethel in a place called Shechem. Shechem happens to be a place of commerce, the center of trade in that area. And so perhaps he was really enjoying his material prosperity. And so what does he do? He camps there in Shechem and he buys a plot of land. But to appease himself and his guilt, perhaps, what does he do? He builds an altar for the Lord. But where does God want him to build that altar? Not in Shechem, but where? Bethel. And so next slide, please. So instead of going to Bethel, he goes north of Bethel in Shechem. Perhaps he's thinking and saying to himself, it's close enough to Bethel. However, it is not in complete obedience to the will of our Almighty God. Next slide. So, is Jacob forgetting God? Perhaps. We can pick number three. He settled in Sukkoth and then Shechem and focused on earthly property instead of worshiping God. What is this an example of? Next slide. This is an example of compromised obedience. Jacob returned to Canaan, but not where? Bethel. He built an altar in Shechem, but God desires the one in Bethel. He wants him to build the altar there in Bethel. There's something about Bethel, all right? Later on, we'll kind of look into that a little more, a little deeper. Why Bethel? What is the significance of Bethel? But for now, let us look at, look at this uh, problem of compromise obedience. It's like when, you know, you say you should, you should become members of the Church of Christ. So they enter the Church of Christ, but they don't obey the commands of God, right? Compromised obedience. They attend the worship service, but they don't truly worship. Compromised obedience. You know, when one is guilty of compromised obedience, he deceives himself that he or she is following the will of God but whenever there's compromise obedience, I want you to remember this, there's always going to be consequences. You believe that? It's always that way. When we are outside the will of God, it's always a place of danger. This is why, next slide, there are always consequences of forgetting God. So here he is and his family. Where are they? Shechem. Where are they supposed to be? Bethel. But they want Shechem. God wants them to go to Bethel. They want to go to Shechem, okay? So they did not follow completely the will of God. And so what happens in Shechem? Well, let's go find out. Let's go to uh, chapter 34 now, or chapter 34 of uh, Genesis. One now and a four. One day, Dinah, who was Dinah? Daughter of Jacob, right? The daughter of Jacob and Leah went to visit some of the Canaanite women. When Shechem, son of Hamor the Hevite, who was chief of that region, saw her, he took her and raped her. But he found the young woman, the woman so attractive that he fell in love with her and tried to win her affection. That's not a good way to win her affection. You rape her and then you try to win her affection? He told his father, I want you to get uh, Dinah uh, for me as my wife. You know, when you forget God... Sometimes you become less aware of the physical and spiritual danger that lurks. Because Shechem is a place where the pagans hang out. It's a pagan place. It's not a place for the people of God. And so Jacob should have been mindful of that and should have been more protective of who? Of Dinah. I mean, why would 
they let her go there by herself. They're strangers in a strange land. They're the people of God living in a pagan city. And so what happens then? What happens to her? She gets raped. And the one who raped her, uh, Shechem, wants now to marry her, right? And so when one of the things, um, the consequences of forgetting God, before we go to the next passage, next slide, please, is number one, you become less vigilant, right? And less aware of danger, both physical and spiritual danger. And so when Jacob finds out about what happened to his daughter, what happens next? Genesis 34, verse 5, Jacob learned that his daughter had been disgraced. But because his sons were out in the field with his livestock, he did nothing until they came back. And so here's Jacob. He finds out the terrible thing that happens to his daughter, but he doesn't do anything. He doesn't think anything. I don't know. Maybe he was thinking something. But the Bible says he did nothing until they came back. So we can kind of see signs of passivity, right? With Jacob. I mean, if you were Jacob and this happened to your daughter, you'd be very concerned. You'd be very alarmed. He said, I'm going to wait until the sons come back. And so when the sons come back, what happens next? Genesis 34, 6 to 10, before the sons actually come back, guess who stops by for a visit? Shechem's father, Hamor, went out to talk with Jacob, just as Jacob's sons were coming in from the fields. When they heard about it, they were shocked and furious that Shechem had done such a thing and had insulted the people of Israel by raping Jacob's daughter. Amor said to him, my son Shechem has fallen in love with your daughter. Please let him marry her. Let us make an agreement that there will be intermarriage between our people and yours. And you may stay here in our country with us. You may live anywhere you wish, trade freely, and own property. And so before the brothers come, who comes in first? Hamor, the father of Shechem. And what does he suggest to Jacob? He says, why not get them married? Because my son Shechem is really in love with your daughter. And if we will do this, if, we will, if you will agree to the intermarriage between my people and your people, you can live anywhere you wish, trade freely, and own property. What do you think? Do you like that agreement? Yeah? Sounds like a good agreement? I mean, uh, what does uh, Jacob's sons feel about that? Genesis 34, 11 and 12. Then Jacob said to Dinah's father and brothers, do me this favor and I will give you whatever you want. Tell me what presents you want and set the payment for the bride as high as you wish. I will give you whatever you ask if you will only let me marry her. There's some people who think they can buy away their guilt, right? Or they can pay for justice. Or if they're guilty of sin, they can just use their money to get themselves out of it. Do you know people like that? Yeah? You know, it's called corruption, right? It was alive and well back then. Here's Shechem. He did a terrible thing. Now he's telling him, you know, I'm just going to buy my way out. He thinks he can do that. So he goes to um, the father, Jacob, and says, you know, do me this favor. Whatever you want. Sky is the limit. I will give it to you, right? And so what does Jacob's son say about that? Genesis 34, 13 and 17, because Shechem had disgraced her sister Dinah. Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father Hamor in a deceitful way. I want to pause there for a while. We're not surprised that Jacob's sons are deceitful. After all, they grew up witnessing deceit, right? And hearing about deceit. They said to him, we cannot let our sister marry a man who is not circumcised. So they're coming up with something here. That would be a disgrace for us. We can agree only on the condition that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will agree to intermarriage. We will settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not accept our terms and be circumcised, we will take her and leave. So here's the suggestion, right? What is the suggestion? Okay, we will agree that Dinah is to marry Shechem, provided that you will be what? Circumcised. Not just them two, but all of the Shechemites. All of them. The whole city is going to be what? 
circumcised. Now, there's two problems in this passage I want you to see. I don't know. Do you see two problems in the passage? I underlined them for you. Give you a hint. Two problems. Something disturbing about this passage I want you to see. <laughs> right? Who made the decision for the family? The sons. Not Jacob. You see the passivity of Jacob? Right? He was so passive. Like he doesn't care. It's like, okay, my sons, you make the decision. It's not supposed to be him. Or them, it's supposed to be him. Jacob was the one who was supposed to make the decision. Right? And number two, they will agree to what? In a minute. Wait a minute. Does God agree with that? Does God agree that they will intermarry? Yes, they will be circumcised, but that's only a physical thing. It doesn't mean they're the same covenant. There was no covenant uh, process or covenant ceremony that took place. This is why that's a disturbing problem. And we're not surprised because that's another sign, a consequence of forgetting God. Number two, consequence of forgetting God, you become passive and you make wrong decisions. And this wrong decision would be so devastating, not only now, but also in the future of God's people. Why? What happens next? Uh, does Shechem and Hamor agree to the terms? Uh, Genesis 34, 18 and 19. These terms seemed fair to Hamor and his son Shechem. And the young man lost no time in doing what was suggested because he was in love with Jacob's daughter. He was the most important member of his family. So Shechem's excited because all they need to do is get circumcised. There's only one problem there. Now he's got to convince the people to get circumcised. Right? So what do they do? Next slide. Genesis 34, 20, 24. Hamor and his son Shechem went to the meeting place at the city gate and spoke to the people of the town. These men are friendly. Let them live in the land with us and travel freely. The land is large enough for them also. Let us marry their daughters and give them ours in marriage. But these men will agree to live among us and be one people with us only on the condition that we circumcise all our males as they are circumcised. Won't all their livestock and everything else they own be ours? Oh boy. So let us agree that they can live among us. All the citizens of the city agreed with what Hamor and Shechem proposed and all the males were circumcised. And so how does Shechem convince the people to get circumcised? Well, he said basically to them, you know, it seems like we're getting converted, but no, we're converting them because eventually we're going to own all of their stuff. So, what, so he convinces all of them to be circumcised. But what happens three days later, 34, 25 to 26, three days later when the men were still sore, you know, at the third day of circumcision, that's when you begin to develop fever, right? Three days later, when the men were still sore from their circumcision, two of Jacob's sons, who are they? Simeon and Levi, I want you to remember their sons. The brothers of Dinah took their swords, went into the city without arousing suspicion, and killed all the men, including Hamor and his son Shechem. And he took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. Wow. You can turn this into a movie, right? A miniseries. And so after they kill everyone in the town, what do they do? What else do they do? Genesis 34, 27, 29, after the slaughter, Jacob's other sons looted the town to take revenge for their sister's disgrace. They took the flocks, the cattle, the donkeys, and everything else in the city and in the fields. They took everything of value, captured all the women and children, carried off everything in the houses. Not only did they kill everyone, all the men, they also looted the entire town. If, is that something a godly nation would do? Is that something God's people ought to be doing? Right? It's not. But when you forget God, all of a sudden, everything seems to be fair. 
when you forget God, you lose the standard by which you can see the difference between right and wrong. And you know what's worse? <laughs> when Jacob found out about it, what was his concern? Genesis 34, 30, 31. Jacob said to Simeon, Levi, you have gotten me into trouble. Now the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and everybody else in the land will hate me. I do not have many men. If they all band together against me and attack me, our whole family will be destroyed. But the answer, we cannot let our sister be treated like a common whore. <laughs> when Jacob finds out about what they did, they slaughtered the town, they looted the place. All Jacob could think of was about himself, right? How about me? You got me into trouble. Now everyone in the land is going to hate me. Now they're going to destroy me and you too, right? He wasn't concerned about whether that was right or wrong. He wasn't concerned about the welfare of the families over there in the town. He was just concerned about himself. See, when people forget God, next slide, people become self-centered and less, less concerned about doing the right thing. You see, Jacob forgot God. And when you forget God, this is the consequence. Do you see how all of a sudden his perfect life is falling apart? Right? This is why what we told you before, sometimes our greatest enemy is our success. But this brings us to a question. Next slide. Did God condone Levi and Simeon's killing spree? What do you think? Did God condone that? I mean, they did rape Dinah. <laughs> Is that right? It seems like Jacob did not condemn them. He was just concerned about himself. That's true. However, when Jacob matured some more, and we jump to Genesis 49, where he is really transformed and become more mature, and it was time for him to give blessings to his sons, he remembers Simeon and Levi. So what does he say? 49, 5 to 7, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Do not let me attend their secret meetings. Do not let me join their assembly. In their anger, they murdered men. At their whim, they crippled cattle. May their anger be cursed because it's so fierce. May their fury be cursed because it's so cruel. I will divide them among the sons of Jacob and scatter them among the tribes of Israel. When Jacob was speaking here, he was inspired by God because this is prophecy. And so we can see Simeon and Levi were cursed. What is part of that curse? I will divide them among the sons of Jacob and scatter them among the tribes of Israel. This is the result of their anger. They're cursed because of the anger and the fury that caused them to do cruel things against human beings. Was this fulfilled? Next slide. Simeon, if you, go, if you notice, Simeon is the only tribe Moses does not bless in Deuteronomy 33. And he is given only a select number of cities in, in Judah's territory, according to Joshua 19, 1-19. The tribe of Judah eventually absorbs the Simeonites and they disappear from history. They become insignificant. Well, how about the Levites? Next slide. The tribe of Levi was scattered throughout Israel, but they became, by God's grace and through their loyalty to God, Exodus 32, 26, 29, the priestly tribe and residents of the cities of refuge. They never possessed their own designated region as the other tribes did, but Levi's priestly office was certainly a privileged one. So Levi and his tribe, they were not given a, a land. They were scattered throughout the different tribes. However, God used that as an opportunity to teach them, the people of Israel, the words of God, because Levi would be the priestly tribe or the priestly group of people. And so sometimes, you know, when a group of people are cursed, it doesn't mean it will define you. As a matter of fact, there's a famous Levite, a famous Levite who became a uh, one of the most powerful men in the Old Testament. You know who that is? Famous Levite? To show you that 
your environment or where you're born into does not define you. Moses. Moses, who became the most powerful man in the Old Testament, right? Mediator of the Old Covenant. And so we see what happened to Levi, what happened to Simeon. And so this all should teach us to control our, what? Anger. How many here have anger issues? Raise your hand if you have anger issues. Nobody here? I'm so glad nobody here has anger issues. But you know what the Bible says about those who do not control their anger? Proverbs 29 verse 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. The Bible calls him a fool. Not only that, what else? Psalms 37 verse 8, let go of anger and leave rage behind. Do not be preoccupied. It only leads to evil. Anger destroys you and it destroys the people around you. And so what does God decree about anger? Galatians 5, 19 to 21, outbursts of anger. Those who have that will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we have to control our anger, right? Which brings us to the following question before we go back to, to Genesis. Uh, next slide, please. Does God condone killing today in the name of religion? What do you think? No. What's the proof? Matthew 5, 43, 45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes him his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You know, this reminds me, when I used to belong to this religious group, not going to mention the name of this religious group. It's a powerful religion. They wanted me to curse an individual. Not going to mention the name. And I said, why will I curse this individual? Why will I hate him? Because he's the enemy. He's the enemy of the church, they said. No, I'm not going to do that. But they insisted we should hate them. And even in their prayers, shout so much hatred against the enemies of the church. Not going to mention which church it is. You can't, you've got to have to guess. One thing for sure. That church does not belong to Christ. What did Christ say? Christ said, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Now he's changed it. He says now, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. If we're able to do that, what do we demonstrate and prove? We are the children of God, sons of God. Remember this, any any religion today that will promote hatred, any religion today that will curse others, it's not from Christ. It's not from Christ. It's not from our almighty God. This is why we left that place, right? Because it's not, no longer of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when anger is there, God is not there. If you notice, Genesis 34, there's something you should notice about Genesis chapter 34. 34. Next slide, please. God is not even mentioned at all in Genesis 34. It's not. The rape, the murder, the looting, all that happened. Nobody mentions God. Why? God was forgotten. When God is forgotten, guess who takes over? Next slide. Ephesians 4.27, don't give the devil an opportunity to work. When we forget God, we give the devil an opportunity to work. And so when this was happening, the rape, the murder, the looting, guess who's behind all of that? Who? The devil. You know why the devil instigated all those events? You know what he really wants to do? What do you think he really wants to do? What is his purpose? What is his end game? Why did he instigate all this violence and jealousy and hatred? What do you think it is? Huh? Next slide. The devil wants to kill Jacob. Why? Because he knows that it's with him that God will continue the covenant that will be completed by the seed of the woman. Get rid of Jacob, you get rid of the seed. That was his plan. That's why he wanted the city to be angry with Jacob. 
so that Jacob would be killed by the city. And when we look at Jacob now, I don't know, before he was so happy, carefree, right? So prosperous. And all of a sudden, everything comes crashing down. Has that happened to you before? At one point, you're so happy. Every, no problem in the world, no care in the world, no worry in the world. And all of a sudden, bam, 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 bam. All of a sudden, all these problems come at you. Jacob. Kind of feel bad for him. But you know what? God is faithful, right? Even when we are not faithful, God is faithful. You know what God does? Next slide. Next chapter, 35. 35 verse 1. God said to Jacob, go. <laughs> go where? Bethel at once and live there. Build an altar there to me. And God who appeared to you when you were running away from your brother Esau. So God appears to him and says to him, Jacob, wake up. Go to Bethel. Go to Bethel. He should have gone there in the first place. It's a good thing God is very compassionate, right? I mean, sometimes when we mess up and all these problems and consequences attack us and we have to live out the consequences of the poor choices that we made in our life, all of a sudden God, using different instruments, God pushes us in the right direction. Hasn't this happened to you? Right? We commit a sin. We forget God. And all of a sudden, God reminds us. So what happens to Jacob? God is bringing him back to the right path. Go to Bethel. And so what does he decide to do? Genesis 35, 2 down to 4. So Jacob said to his family and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods that you have, that, uh, that you have because they looted the place. Right? Purify yourselves and put on clean clothes. We're going to leave here and go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to the God who helped me in the time of my trouble and who has been with me everywhere I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and also all the, uh, the, the earrings that they were wearing. He buried them beneath the oak tree near Shechem. And so before they go back to Bethel, he tells his family, all of the things that are against the will of God, the foreign God that you took, I know. Now he's no longer passive. He's more involved. Why? Because he had fellowship with his God. This is what we need to do. We need to get our, our acts straight. We need to renew our life. That's what God wants. None of us are perfect. But when God begins to urge us, God begins to nudge us, we need to take that opportunity and renew our life just like Jacob now. He tells his family, let's do it right. And so they get rid of the idols. They bury it beneath an oak tree. And they go to Bethel. What happens next? Genesis 35, 5 to 6. When Jacob and his son started to leave, great fear fell on the people of the nearby towns. And they did not pursue them. Jacob came with all his people to lose, which is known as Beth, which is now known as Bethel in the land of Canaan. See God's protection? The devil wanted to kill Jacob, but God protected Jacob because it was his promise. And God will fulfill his promise to him. And so what does he do in Bethel? Genesis 35, 7-8, he built an altar there and named, and named the place for the God of Bethel because God had revealed himself to him there when he was running away from his brother. Rebekah's nurse. Deborah died and was buried beneath the oak south of Bethel. So it was named Oak of Weeping. And so what does uh, Jacob do once they finally get to Bethel? What God wanted all along. Build an altar so that he can be worshipped. And so that's what he does. But at this point, uh, somebody dies, right? Who is that? Who is the one who died? Deborah. The nurse of Rebecca. Do you remember Rebecca? Who was Rebecca? If you still remember, who was Rebecca? Let's ask Sister Jenna. Jenna, who's Rebecca? Huh? Who's Rebecca? No? Brother Ivan? Who's Rebecca? My classmate. <laughs> no, not that. Not your classmate. Who's the Rebecca? Who's Rebecca? You forgot? 
Jacob's mother, right? Why does uh, Isaac have a nurse? It's probably because Rebecca has already died. And in replacement, someone to kind of take care of Isaac, they had the nurse. Rebecca's nurse. And so at this point, it could be that Rebecca has already died. And so Jacob doesn't meet Rebecca again, right? Also, Deborah has also died. At any, at any rate, um, he builds an altar in Bethel. Remember, Jacob built an altar in Shechem, right? But God doesn't want the altar there in Shechem. He wants it where? Bethel. You know why? Remember in Bethel, God revealed the ladder. Who is that? Jesus. Not only that, what does Bethel mean? What does Bethel mean? Next slide. Genesis 28, 18 and 19. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone. This is after the dream that he had. Put, uh, took the stone he had put under his head. He set it up as a marker and poured olive oil on top of it. He named that place Bethel, which means what? House of God. Previously, the name of the city was Luz. So he changed the name from Luz to Bethel, which means house of God. Take note. The Bible also says he set it up as a marker, right? The, the stones and poured olive oil on it. There's anointing, right? It was anointed. I don't know. Can you see a picture here of Bethel? What do you think Bethel represents? Huh? What does it represent Bethel? It's called the house of God. Who do you think is the house of God today? 1 Timothy 3.15 But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Which is what? The church of the living God. The pillar and ground of the truth. And so Bethel represented the body of Christ. Anointed. Because in Bethel, it was revealed the plan of God concerning Christ and how it will connect us to the Father who is in heaven. This is why when you look deeper, you will see Christ everywhere in the Holy Scriptures. And when he arrived in Bethel, what did God do? Genesis 35, 9 and 15, when Jacob returned from Mesopotamia in Haran, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but from now on it will be Israel. So God named him Israel. And God said to him, I am the Almighty God. Have many children. Nations will be descended from you. And you will be the ancestor of kings. I will give you the land which I gave to Abraham and to Isaac. And I will also give it to your descendants after you. And God left him. There, where God had spoken to him, Jacob set up a memorial stone and consecrated it by pouring wine and olive oil on it, he named the place Bethel. And so Bethel represents that place where God blesses and makes a promise to Jacob. This is why Bethel is a very special place. He was blessed there by God. All of us should follow the example of Jacob. You notice when he was running away from Esau, who became his refuge? God in Bethel. When he's running away from the Shemites, who became his refuge? God. In Bethel. What does Bethel represent today? The church. So as a church, whenever we have problems, whenever we have troubles, no matter what it may be, what is it that we should do? 46 of Psalms. 1 to 3. 1 to 2 rather. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. So brethren, if you are in the middle of some kind of big challenge or trouble or suffering in life, make God your refuge. However, when we make God our refuge and God has blessed us, it doesn't mean we're going to have a trouble-free life. Okay? Why? What happened to Jacob next after he was blessed by God? Genesis 35, 16 to 20. Jacob and his family left Bethel when they were still some distance from Eprath. The time came for Rachel to have her baby and she was having difficult labor. When her labor pains were at the, at the worst, the midwife said to her, don't be afraid, Rachel, it's another boy. But she was dying. And as she breathed her last, she named her son Benoni, but her father named him Benjamin. When Rachel died, she was buried beside the road to Ephrath, known as Bethlehem. 
Jacob set up a memorial stone there, and it still marks Rachel's grave to this day. We talked about this before, right? And so, who dies at this point? Rachel. That's pretty sad, right? You got blessed by God, and all of a sudden you lose your wife. How would you feel about that? That was you. God blessed you. God appeared to you. God said, I'm going to bless you and your descendants. And then all of a sudden, your wife dies. You know, sometimes we can be blessed by God, but it doesn't mean he will not allow us to experience tragedies. Right? What else happens? Genesis 35, verse 22. While Jacob was living in that land, Reuben had sexual intercourse with Bilhah, one of his father's concubines. Jacob heard about it and was furious. Who was Reuben? Not only his son, but his number one. He was the firstborn. You know, back then, if you were to sleep with your father's concubine, it was an act of rebellion. It's like you want to say, I'm the head of the household now. It's like, I want my birthright now. And so here's Reuben. He does that. He betrays his father. How would you feel if you were Jacob? You just lost your wife, and then your son does this to you? I kind of feel bad for Jacob, right? And later on, Genesis 49, this is what he says to Reuben. Reuben, you're my firstborn, my strength, the very first, first, first son I had, first in majesty and first in power. You will no longer be first because you were out of control like a flood and you climbed into your father's bed. Then you dishonored it. He climbed up on my couch. So basically, God took away his blessing as a firstborn son. It was given to Joseph instead, Okay. But uh, who were the 12 sons of Jacob? Genesis 35, 22, 25. They're right there. Who was the firstborn? Reuben. Right? And then who's next? Simeon and Levi. All three were cursed. <laughs> the first three sons. I really feel bad for Jacob. Right? And to top it all off, next slide, Genesis 35, 27, 29. Jacob went to his father Isaac at Mamre near Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had lived. Isaac lived to be 180 years old and died at a ripe old age, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. On top of that, Isaac dies. This was after getting blessed by God, right? You see, before, Jacob was enjoying prosperity. No problem. No suffering. Was that good for him? He forgot God. This time around, God says, I'm going to allow you to experience all these sufferings. You know what were they? Next slide. The sufferings of Jacob. What's number one? Next slide. Death of Rebekah. Found out. What else? Next slide. Death of Deborah. What else? Next slide. Death of Rachel. What else? Next slide. Reuben's betrayal. And number five, death of Isaac. What would Jacob do? It's a good thing. Jacob remained loyal to God. You know, there's a reason why God permits us to go through suffering. What is that? Next slide. We're almost done. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 9. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be ignorant about the sufferings we experienced in the province of Asia. It was so extreme that it was beyond our ability to endure. We even wondered if we can go on living. In fact, we still feel as if we're under a death sentence. But we suffered so that we would stop trusting ourselves and learn to trust God who brings the dead back to life. When you live in prosperity, no problems in the world, Sometimes you begin to trust self and forget who? God. This is why God permits that we go through suffering in life. Why? To remind us we must trust God. What does it mean to trust God? Next slide. Bible says we should rely not on ourselves, but only on who? God. Who is able to raise? 
the dead. This is why we believe Jacob knows he will see all of his lost relatives again. We too, we will see all of our lost relatives. This is why we must remain loyal to God. We go through suffering in life. It should teach us to place our trust in God instead of shaking a fist against God. Trust Him and place your hope and rely on Him at all times. How can we do that? Let's read the final passage of our study, 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. For this reason, we never become discouraged. Even though our physical being is gradually decaying, yet our spiritual being is renewed day after day. And the small and temporary trouble we suffer will bring, will bring us a tremendous and eternal glory, much greater than the trouble. For we fix our attention not on the things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. What can be seen lasts only for a time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. When we go through sufferings in life, and we will, we need to be encouraged, not discouraged. Because when you lose your courage, you're going to lose hope. And you will not endure. How can we be encouraged? Bible says, don't fix your attention on the things that are seen. But the things that are unseen. Because if we fix our attention on the things that we see, what will we see? Our physical being gradually decaying. I mean, it doesn't matter how many creams and procedures and vitamins you drink. It doesn't matter. We're going to get old. And we're going to get physically decayed. It's the process of biology. Because creation is under the process of decay. It's part of reality. This is why the Bible says don't place your focus on what can be seen. If we focus on what can be seen, all we see is bad news. Suffering. How can we remain encouraged? Focus on the invisible. What cannot be seen? Why? Because what cannot be seen, that will last forever. What can be seen? That's only temporary. Brothers and sisters, God called us. God blessed us. But God will not spare us from the sufferings of life. But when, when we remain loyal to Him, the Bible says the suffering we go through now, it's going to bring us something. What is that? It says right there, it will bring us a tremendous and eternal glory. And so brethren, if there's something we need to learn from the story of Jacob in this part of his life, it's simply this. Let us never, ever forget our Almighty God. Instead, in everything we do, remember Him and trust Him for everything in your life. That is our lesson. Let us all stand and we shall pray. Almighty and gracious God, thank you so much for being a compassionate Father. You are faithful to your promises. And because we belong to your beloved Son, we are parts of His body. We know you have promises for us. And even if we falter because of your mercy and compassion, you will help us to change. You will not just here and there. You will remind us using various instruments that we can again come back to the right path. This is what we see transpire in our life. Always you were there. You always were behind the events and experiences in our life. During times of sadness, you taught us to look up to you and trust you. Thank you for being our refuge. We will go to you again and again. Deliver your people. We have no one else to turn to. You are our God who is compassionate and merciful. Remember our family, Father. If we have not done our best, if we have forgotten you, O oh God, if we fail to remind them about you, forgive us, O oh Lord. Give us many more opportunities that we will be able to teach them to place their hope and trust 
in your mighty hands. Oh God, remember every family of your people throughout the entire world as you are preparing for the great day of salvation. What we want and beg from you, oh God, may you save everyone. Remember our children. Remember our parents and loved ones. May we be included, O oh God, among those who shall receive your promise of everlasting life. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we humble ourselves before you time and time again. We are confronted with many problems. Sometimes we are confused. Sometimes we are perplexed, but we are always directed back to you. You are the Son of God. We know you will lead us to him. And so when the circumstances of our life lead us to you, accept and embrace us. Never let go of us during times of sicknesses, Lord. And we cry to you for help. Respond from heaven above. Deliver each one of us. Help us to be strong until the end. As we fix our eyes upon the invisible, that we can receive the everlasting glory you have promised. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed your people throughout the world. You have delivered each and every one of us from the wicked schemes of evil men. We believe, O oh God, that you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.